We've looked at embracing God's plan for your life, loving God's plan, taking it and embracing it. And when we say embrace, we mean not just say I like it, but embrace it and begin to practice it and use it. We've talked about getting equipped. A lot of people have learned about God's plan, but they've never really gotten equipped to use God's plan in their life. And so we looked at that, and um, last week I was just amazed how many people wanted a copy of that particular message. And um, this morning I want to talk to you about expanding your vision. There's a conviction that I have that comes from the scripture, and I need to explain it just a little bit, not because it's controversial, but it's because some people have made it controversial by the way they teach it. But I have a very, very strong biblical conviction that God created us to enjoy life. When you think of the way God created you, the eyes and all the colors that you can see, all the flavors you can taste. I mean, think about just a, a peach. And then fill in the juice of that peach run down your face while you're trying to eat it, if it's a good peach. Now, if it's one you buy at the Kroger that's, no. I'd take you to a good peach orchard. All right, think about a watermelon. I mean, just a good ice-cold watermelon. We used to toss them in the pond, and then at the end of the day, we would bust them open and eat the heart and throw the rest to the hogs. That's called living high on the hog, by the way. <laughs> Think about all the nerves that you have where you can experience pleasure. God created you so that you could enjoy life. But God, God also, in this, what we call the dominion mandate from Genesis 1, God wants to bless you and prosper you. When I read of Adam, when I read of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I could just keep going right through the Bible, that God delights and blessing and prospering his people, expanding their horizons. When I read the prayer of Jabez, Jabez was a wise man. There was, he's something about himself. He knew himself. He says, Lord, you know, I don't want to be too rich, but I don't want to be too poor. He knew what he could handle. And God honored that request. And in the New Testament, it's obvious that there have always been rich people in the church. There have always been affluent people in the church. And for that, I am so grateful because we live in an affluent nation. And I have, I have seen and witnessed real poverty. I've walked the slums of Kenya. I've walked the slums of Ethiopia. I've walked the slums of Paraguay and Brazil and Uruguay. I've been in the bush, in the Amazon, and in Africa, in Asia, where there is no running water. There are no toilets. I sat here with one of the young adults in our church after our midweek service, and we sat right here, and they were asking me some questions, and so I just talked to them and said, you need to be back here for this message this morning. I've sat in these little huts that people build out of fronds where the water they get 
is greener than this carpet, and they're cooking over manure that they've squeezed with their hands. There is no soap. That's poverty. In these countries where I talked about last week could corrupt dictators. They're rich while their people suffer. And every time I look at that, I see where the will of God is not being done, where the plan of God has not been embraced, and where people have not been equipped. And so I say this with compassion, and I say this, I hope, with a great deal of sensitivity, because I know there'll be a lot of people who listen online. But the people in America who live at the poverty line, what our U.S. government describes as the poverty line, you're affluent compared to the genuinely poor people in our world. You have hot and cold running water. You have shelter. You have food. You have access to health care. And it's so easy to compare ourselves to people who have more than we have and then to feel poor. And it's so easy to buy into all the advertising on the television. I mean, I remember my first car was a 65 Volkswagen. And if you could get it going at top speed, about 60 miles an hour, if I rolled up the windows, I could get five miles an hour faster out of it. But you couldn't leave them up long because it was just so stinking hot. And I will never forget when I was able to get my second car. And man, when I got my second car, that was really, I was really happy with it until I saw a 68 Roadrunner with a Daytona fin on it. And I came home and told my dad, I said, I drive a piece of junk. He says, that's a good car. I said, no, it's a piece of junk. He says, what do you want? So I said, the guy said I could drive it home tomorrow and show it to you. So I drove it home the next day, and my mama walked out and said, there is no way under God's blue sky you're buying that car and killing yourself. <laughs> you see, you can get a really nice Chevrolet or Ford, and then you'll see a Cadillac and you go, oh, this piece of junk. Because our culture is designed not to celebrate what we've got, but to make us dissatisfied with what we have. And so I hope that what I said about the poverty line in America, and I have great compassion and sympathy, but first of all, you've got to see yourself as beloved of God, and if you'll put God first in your life, God can change everything. God delights in blessing you. I got to say this too because history is my hobby. Capitalism without Christianity will only lead to despair and nihilism. You will prosper. I mean, you'll prosper under capitalism. You'll prosper under it. If you'll practice the principles, you'll prosper. But you'll come to the end of your life and it'll be meaningless and you'll be like so many people who want to take the easy way out and commit suicide and not realizing they've got to face a God in eternity or you'll be so dissatisfied. 
I had the privilege a few years ago, well, actually about three years ago, just before Michael Novak died, I was invited to come have lunch with him in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Michael Novak was a, was a theologian and was an economist. Mr. Novak said to me and several others there, he said, there is going to be a revival in America. And he said, it's going to be among the affluent. He says, you need to mark these words because history has never seen prosperity like we have currently witnessed. And he said, so many affluent people are so hungry because they've made so much that they're not happy. And I have been praying about that. I've been asking God to fulfill that. But I've been asking God also to fulfill his word in you and I. And so the caveat that I want to add is I'm not preaching this morning some message on give God $1,000 and he's going to give you $10,000 back. That's not what this is about. But you have got to know and believe and understand that God delights in blessing you. God delights in prospering you. And God delights in your enjoying the gifts that he gives to you. Or he would have never put those flavors in the peach. He'd have never put that color in the sky or in your wife's eyes. He would have never given you the nerves to enjoy the physical and sensual pleasures that you can enjoy. And God would have never said what he says in Matthew, that if you just seek my kingdom first, if you'll put me first, if you'll allow the kingdom of God to invade every area of your life, not just Sunday, but allow the kingdom, get a, a vision of the kingdom, the greatness of the kingdom, and this kingdom of peace and love and joy and the Holy Spirit. If you allow Jesus to invade every area of your life, God says, then everything else will be added unto you because then you can handle it. Then it won't curse you. Then it won't damn you. Then it won't bring you to the end of your life nihilistic, but you'll come to the end of your life with this real joy. If this has been great, how much sweeter is heaven going to be? That's why Jesus says, I've got to be Lord of all. The kingdom of heaven is a universal kingdom. The Bible tells us that it will include every tribe, every nation, every tongue. The kingdom of heaven is not a Western expression. It's why China fears it so much. And this week leveled a Chinese church of thousands because it was an unregistered church and they want to control the church. Let me tell you something. You persecute the church, it's just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. You murder Christians, the church is going to get stronger. If the, mm, Lord, forgive me. I almost said something I shouldn't have said. Do you ever do that? Do you ever wish you could just go, oh, let me get it back? If these people who try to stamp out Christianity by murdering Christians would just understand 
what history has always proven. The blood of the martyrs will always cry louder from the ground than any sermon that any living person can ever preach. The kingdom of God, it's a powerful kingdom. I mean, you've got to get that. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. There is more to this life than what you've experienced. There are signs and wonders. There are miracles not to show off with, not to play with, not to be foolish about, but nothing, nothing is impossible with God. God says with men it's impossible, and Jesus taught us, he says, but with God, all things are possible. Dream it, believe it, look to God's word for a promise to stand upon. But understand, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power, and Jesus says the kingdom will advance powerfully. You don't have to live this weak, insipid life. You can live a bold life. And I, again, I don't say it just to be funny, but folks, we can swing across the dominion of hell on a rotten corn stalk. There is a harvest to be made in this world if we'll simply trust God for it, amen? amen. But it's a kingdom that's inclusive as well. It's a kingdom where everybody is loved, but it's not a kingdom where we can say, oh, I'll serve God if God is like this or if God is like that or if God approves of this sin or if God... God loves everyone, but everyone has to come to Christ and ask him to forgive him of their sins and then follow Jesus. For the road is narrow that leads to eternal life, but broad is the way to destruction. So it's an inclusive kingdom. There will be every single type of human being that you can imagine. And I'm so thankful this church represents a lot of that. It's a kingdom that's inevitable. I gotta tell you something. <sighs> the church is going to prevail. And the kingdom of God is going to prevail. So don't ever question or ever doubt that. So this morning, I want you to embrace this vision. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith, now faith, is the evidence of things not seen. Would you say it with me? Now faith is the evidence of, not, th evidence of things not seen. Now faith, not yesterday's faith, not tomorrow's faith, but faith that's right now. Whatever you're facing this morning, whatever the challenge, whatever the crisis, whatever the dream, whatever the vision, Whatever the goal, what you need is faith today. Now faith, it's the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? It means that you have a vision of what your future can be like. I have a vision not only for my future, but my children's future, this church's future, for mine and Becky's future. I have a vision that I pray over America. I have a vision that, that I pray and believe over the Jewish people in our world today because of Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10. I refuse to give up on that vision. I have a vision today because Christ had a vision. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the agonies of the cross, Christ had this vision. And a vision motivates you and a vision propels you, a vision drives you, a vision energizes you, a vision makes you swing your feet off the bed in the morning and stand up and say, I'm ready for this day. It doesn't mean that you don't ever get tired. It doesn't mean that you don't ever 
have some times where you're just, you know, weary in your body, but that vision says, I'm not going to let this tiredness, I'm not going to let this fatigue stop me. And what faith in a vision does, faith in a vision, it conquers the fear. Because you have a choice, and I have a choice. Now listen to me carefully right here, especially our younger people. You have a choice. You can live by fear, or you can live by faith. Some of you are living by faith, and some of you are living by fear. When you live by faith, even though you don't see it, you still believe it. When you're living by faith, you can see the giants, but you still believe God's word. When you're living by faith, you can see the fortresses, the strongholds. You're realistic. I mean, you're not pie in the sky. You're not blind. You're not on some pink, fluffy cotton cloud. You're realistic, but you're not afraid because you believe God's word. And so it's the difference between people who believe in the minority report and people who believe in the majority report. For the majority report, 10 spies come out in the book of Exodus and they go, oh yeah, it's a good land. Boy, God was right, it's a great land. But what God didn't tell you, there are giants in those land and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And yeah, they've got grapes the size of basketballs, but we're just little dinky little people of God, so we're never gonna be able to take that land because everybody knows that Christians are just little dinky people that are never gonna get anything done. And the minority report, they come out of there Caleb and Joshua and say, heck yeah there, Bick. And there are some fortresses and they are so big we can't miss and they are so big that the glory is going to be that much greater for God. Let's go in and take the land. And the majority of the people believed the majority report. And because they did, they wandered around aimlessly until they died. Now, you need to listen to your pastor. I love you. Some of you are wandering around and you have settled rather than believed the word of God. And God is saying this morning, I know that you embrace it and I know that you want to be equipped, but this morning, it's also time to knock down the walls and it's also time to break the chains. It's also time to believe what we sang this morning. We can dance with our Father in fields of grace. God is about to give you a breakthrough in your life. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? The unfortunate thing about that was Joshua and Caleb had to wander around with them for 40 years but they outlived those other fatheads. And when Caleb was 80 years old, he came in with his crutches. He said, give me my mountain. And they said to him, there's still giants on that mountain. And Caleb said, God's still going to give me that land. And at 80 years old, Joshua and Caleb did something that most senior citizens in America don't do today. They went in 
and God expanded their territory. God answered their prayers, and they lived and prospered for a long time after that. Don't you settle because you're 60 plus or you're 70 plus or 80 plus. Don't you settle down and die. Today is a day to say, give me my mountain. I want to expand my vision for the glory of God. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, out of respect for the word of the Lord. Now, I did this in the first service this morning. And boy, they raised the roof in here. Look at what this first sentence says. Shout praises to the Lord. What's the punctuation mark at the end of that? Now, do you get the idea that he really wants you to shout? If, if when I watch the football game, we shout. Now, there's two good ones coming on today. And I can tell you, Ben and I are going to be doing a little bit of hollering. And if you need some fun, just come watch football with Ben and I today. There's a reason I don't teach 101 today. Because <laughs> there's going to be a little shouting at our house today. But can, and if you're our guest today, I don't always get this weird. <laughs> Not always. But can we shout to the Lord? Can we obey that command? And I mean, now if you don't shout, I'm going to ask you to do it again. So on the count of three, I'm going to turn my mic off so I don't, you know, blow a speaker. But on the count of three, one, two, three, we're going to shout to the Lord. One, two, three. That was lousy. <laughs> Maybe that was my fault. Let's say shout to the Lord, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. I can tell you, based upon so many other scriptures in the Bible, you just brought a smile to the face of God. And he probably said, there Denny goes being goofy again. <laughs> but you just brought a smile to the face of the Lord because you weren't embarrassed to praise him. You weren't embarrassed to shout to him. You see, there's power in praise and worship. Last night, we looked at it in our prayer meeting here at church last night about the power that's released from heaven when God's people pray. Well, the Lord blesses everyone who worships him and gladly obeys his teaching. There it is again. He, bless, he delights in blessing you. Look at this promise. Their descendants will have great power in the land because the Lord blesses all who do right. They will get rich and prosper. I didn't say that. God said that. They will get rich and prosper and always be re remembered for their fairness. They will be so kind and merciful and good that they will be a light in the dark for others who do the right thing. Do you believe that? Let's read it one more time. Shout praises to the Lord, for the Lord blesses everyone who worships him and gladly obeys his teaching and their descendants will have great power in the land because the Lord blesses all who do right. They will get rich and prosper and will always be remembered for their fairness. They will be so kind and merciful and good that they will be a light in the dark for others who do not do the right thing. 
It has always been my prayer, dear Father, that you would make us a light in the dark for lost people. It has always been my prayer that you would help us to love lost people the way you love them, Lord. But this morning I come and I pray for the church today. God, would you strengthen our faith, for faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. God, we have embraced your plan and we looked at how to be equipped for it last week, but today, would you break down those strongholds in our minds, those chains that keep us tied down. And God, would you help us to see those fields of grace that we can dance and rejoice in and prosper in and become a blessing to others, I ask. Lord, I pray that you will invade every single area of our heart, our soul, and our life. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. For those of you that are followers of Christ, and for those of you that have yet to become a follower of Christ, the first thing I would say in expanding your vision is start right now of becoming the example. Be the example of what you want to be. Let your marriage be the example, whether you feel like it or not. Let the way you handle your finances, whether you feel like it or not, Don't let the reality of life determine the level of your faith. But be like Joshua and Caleb where your faith determines the reality of your life. And understand those of you who are tempted to go, I can't, there is a real danger because sometimes the majority can affect the minority. But it doesn't mean for those that are in the minority that the realism of your faith will never be accomplished. I have to be real careful sometimes as a pastor because there are so many stories that happen in the news that I'd love to comment upon, like the budget shutdown, or like the, the, what happened in China this week, or like the, the, the date story that made such headlines in the news this week. But one of the things that you have to determine to do is despite all of the headlines of the news and everything that you hear, you've got to be the example. And you've got to realize, and this is important, as being the example, you've got to realize your power in the big picture. Have you ever put a puzzle together, a jigsaw puzzle together, and you got down and there was one piece missing? And it was all 999 pieces were there, but that one piece was missing. Doesn't it just kind of leave you dissatisfied? You see, everybody has their place and their role in life. I'd say be an example in your marriage. I was listening to the American Life podcast, and Ira Glass was interviewing a marriage counselor, a Jewish marriage counselor by the name of Esther Pearl. And she's counseled a lot of couples, and she said, this is what she said, and I'm quoting. You know the thing that popped in my head these days is, I have faith in days that I have faith in humanity and days when I don't. She says, but I want to write an article on couples that inspire. So I wrote to a number of people and I says, would you tell me couples that have inspired you to live a better marriage? And the vast majority could sometimes come up with one. She said, but I never wrote the piece because we see that there are some couples who are very good at this, but there are very few couples in the world 
that other married couples can look at and says, that's what I want my marriage to be like. And my prayer is that every married couple at this church, we will be an example to those who live in darkness of what a godly marriage can be. I pray for every family in this church that our families and our children can be examples of what God wants us to be. It doesn't mean our marriages are perfect, and it doesn't mean our children are perfect. Far from it, because if we were perfect, everybody would want to stay away from us. And by the way, there are no perfect people. But we have these qualities in our life that inspire. There are young couples in our church that need older couples that can be marriage mentors to them because so many of the people that are in the sphere or the orbit of this church haven't grown up in a Christian home or haven't grown up in a home where parents loved each other or maybe there are three or four different parents among all the children and so it's very difficult for them to know what a godly Christian home is like. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22 in verse 6, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Brothers and sisters, that is a promise. It doesn't mean that as teenagers or college students, our kids won't wander from the faith, but the Bible says that if you raise your children to serve God, if you raise your children and teach them how to walk with God, statistically we know from a leadership study, that from a leadership survey that was done in Leadership Magazine, that 77% of the children whose mother and father go to church together with the family, 77% of those children remain in church church after they leave home. 55% of the children whose dads take them to church, but the mother doesn't go to church, 55% of those children continue to go to church because of the influence of their dad. 15% of those children whose mother take them to church by themselves, only 15% of them go to church. 7% of the children that are sent to church by their parents, but their parents don't stay for church, only 7% of those children stay in church. I submit to you to this morning, you have more power in Christ than what you truly understand. That when married couples serve God together and model this before their children, they have a greater chance of seeing Proverbs 22 6 at work in their family's life. When you raise up a child in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. And we've got to embrace that as a vision. We've got to embrace that as a way of life and say, this is what we're committed to. Not spotty attendance, not once in a while attendance, but consistent of saying, I'm going to live for Christ daily. I'd say also, and I'll be real quick with these because these are just recapping things we've already talked about. I'd say be an example in tithing as we talked about last week. Bring your children around, whether you give online or whether you write a check and let your children see. Pray over your tithe check. Thank God for giving you the strength to earn a living and teach your children how to give God, put God first. The Bible says excel in giving. The reason the band can do such a good job is because they're always stretching. They're always looking to do more and do better. They practice over and over. I was told one time by my golf instructor, he said, you'll never be a good golfer because you won't play enough. So just enjoy the game. 
So friends, it's the best walk I ever have, putting that ball around. I'll never be good, but I'm having a good time, okay? So I'm what they call a duffer. I'm what they call a person that just gets to play once in a while. But if you want to be a good golfer, you got to hit swing after swing after swing and situation after situation. You excel, and so you teach your children how to do this. 10% of everything you harvest is holy and belongs to me, God says, whether it grows in your field or on your fruit trees. I have in my office, and I should have brought it out with me this morning, but I have in my office a tithing envelope. I get them quite frequently from Alex. Where, there, there you guys are. I get it from, from Alex each week because Cash will bring me his tithing envelope, and usually he'll come running up to me, and, and I've given them to Norma. Sometimes I've walked in, and I tried to bless the people who count for us and say, look at this, because they're teaching their children, Aaron and Alex are teaching their children how to tithe and how to put God first, and Cash doesn't put, what a name for a little boy who likes to tithe, Cash. <laughs> Cash, he doesn't want to give it to the ushers. He wants to bring it to me, you know. And so he comes and I give him a big hug and a big kiss and say, thank you, Cash. And he's putting God first. They're doing something that he's learning to delight and he's learning to have joy. He's also learning how to ask mom and dad. And he's also learning that mom and dad freely give. He will grow up to be a boy that knows that God delights to freely give to his children when they put him first in their lives. And that's the key to being blessed. Be an example in the journey. Enjoy your life with your family. Enjoy life with your wife. Enjoy life in this community. This is a great community that we live in. This week I had the privilege of sitting with a number of different leaders in our community and we're eating wraps from one of the local restaurants and sitting there and I found myself laughing and enjoying. After we had done the business that we were there to do, I, I found myself laughing and enjoying their company and people coming over and just talking and later as I was walking out, so say, would you pray with me about this? Enjoy life. People don't have to be Christians to get involved with them, but get involved and be the salt and the light of the earth and let your children know that one of the reasons that you don't just do life at Woodland Church, but you do life in the community is because lost people matter to God. It is important that we do that. And it's important to know that your children are watching you. I got this off the newswire the other day from Reuters and I thought it was so funny. A little boy called 911, 911 on his daddy when he got home. His daddy ran a red light. So when he got home, and I'm reading it to you, 911, this line's recorded, what's your emergency? Uh, my daddy just went past a red light and it was in a brand new car and it's my mommy's car. The police showed up at their house. Thankfully, they didn't give him a ticket. Thankfully, it was all smiles when it was over with. But I'm telling you, your children are watching you, and they may be backseat drivers in your lives. And so it's important that we understand the way we live our lives is how our children are going to dream about living their lives. So Deuteronomy eleven nineteen says, teach them to your children. Talk about them all the time. Whether you're at home or walking along the road or going to bed at night or getting up in the morning, write them on the door frames of your homes and on your town gates. In other words, constantly, constantly talk to your children. I'd say be an example. We talked about this in the very first week when we talked about embracing God's plan. We talked about work and how that work is a blessing. The Bible says, whatever you did for any of my people, now, no matter how important they seemed, you did it for me. 
Can I apply that also to your employers? Could I apply that to the people who have invested in your business? Could I apply that to the people that you serve in your business? That whenever you work for God, you bless your employer, you bless your employees, you bless the, the people that you serve in your business. You see, when we do our work, we do our work not just for a paycheck. We do our work because we want to honor God. And as I said in the first week, if you don't like the work you're doing, get trained for a job that you've dreamed about doing and that you want to do. Many people at Woodland have made career changes and got into something that they've wanted to do. But do you work in a way that people who hire you, they're glad that they hired you? Do you work in such a way that people that you serve, they're glad that you're the one they bought their car to or you're the one they bought their groceries from or you're the ones that use their services. You take, like here, we've got a, you know, a business in our church of a, a man that cleans carpets and Tim Nemeth has this wonderful carpet cleaning business and when you see his van, it's called Heaven's Best. And I know Tim is saying, he's putting himself on the line saying, whenever I clean your carpets, I'm gonna do a good job. I'm gonna do a great job because I want it to really reflect heaven. How many people have been grateful for the work that Vito has done for them? Do your work in such a way that people are glad to do business with you. Can you say amen to that? And your employer is glad that they hired you or you're glad that you went to work for this employer. I'd say we talked about this, be an example in saving. Your 10-10-80 plan. I was reading this week in the Detroit paper, the Detroit News to be matter of fact, as one of the business leaders in our community was saying, we know that times are good right now in the metro area. But for those of us who lived in this area, we know there will be another severe downturn in the economy at some point in the future. That's not negativity, that's realistic. Joseph understood there was going to be a downturn in the economy in Pharaoh's kingdom, and he went to work saving, and he not only saved Egypt, he not only saved the people of God, but the Bible talks about the nations of the world, of the known world at that time coming around. I hope that when this next time comes around that we as the people of God are much better prepared than what we were the first time and that we're able to do even more than we did the last time. We built of help build a floor on an orphanage in Bangladesh during this last severe economic recession we had. Our church sacrificially stood up and became a blessing when we had so many people out of work, all because God's people had to be prepared. Never fear the storm. Never fear the dark times. We do not live by fear. Now faith is the evidence of things not seen. If there is a downturn, Jesus is still Lord. God will still provide we cannot lose. God is on our side. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? That's what it means to expand. It's because you know that God hasn't called you to run around in circles. And then I'd also say, be the example in growing in wisdom. Don't stop learning. Continue to learn and apply yourself. Wise discipline imparts wisdom. And spoiled adolescents embarrass their parents. Be wise about how you raise your children. Be wise about how you love your children. You want, you want to be proud of your children, but you also want your children to make you proud of them. And your children don't become wise if you fail to discipline them. 
And discipline doesn't mean you're always punishing them. Discipline means you're teaching and setting the example in your life of the wisdom of discipline. And then you set certain parameters for them and you insist that they honor those disciplines. I don't know if you remember quite a few years ago now, but I preached a message talking about all of these little barriers that God puts up for us. And I use the example of the roads that when you veer off lane, you start getting that where you're hitting the side. That lets you know you're, you're getting too far over. And if that doesn't stop you, then there are these barriers up there to catch you and to keep you from going off the side of the road and maybe flipping and hurting yourself. God puts you there as a parent so that your child can have a firm, solid place to grow, and as they get wiser and wiser and wiser, then you can expand their territory. The second thing I would say to you this morning, and I'd like to spend just a little bit more time here, is enjoy life. To expand your vision, to expand it means to enjoy. Life, maybe it's, maybe it's because so many times I've almost lost it. But there aren't many days that go by that I really just don't enjoy living. As a matter of fact, there aren't many days that go by that I just, you know, even in difficult times, I just, you find joy. Last night I called a friend on the way home from church in our community. He's going through a really difficult time. And I got home, I sat in the driveway for another probably 20 minutes just talking and praying with him on the phone and wept with him on the phone and just, I mean, this is gonna sound so silly, but when I lay down last night, I thought about it, I said, I need to tell the story. Because when I hung up the phone, I just started giving God thanks. And then I started laughing, not at his story, but how God brought our lives together, and though he's not a Christian yet, that now that there's a crisis in his life, he's not turning to somebody at the bar, he's turning to somebody that loves Jesus. And I believe that through this crisis in life, he's going to come to know Jesus. And I found myself saying, devil, you're about to lose again. You see, there's always a reason for joy. Even in the most difficult, dark times, there's a reason for joy. So how do you enjoy life? Let me ask you three questions. What do you sing about? What do you sing about? I mean, I, I started recently just keep, what do I sing about? I find myself, sometimes I'll walk in the door and I'm so happy to come home and see Becky, especially as she's home during tax season and I'll open the door and I'll go, when a man loves a woman. And my kids go, shut up, Dad, save it for later, you know? I'm just, I'm just happy to see her. I, I get up in the morning and still want to, how many of you remember this song? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. One person knows, two people know. I'll sing that song because I love that. I find myself singing about the things that I really enjoy. I'll find myself just making up songs about stuff I enjoy. And whether you like them or not, God and I think they're pretty good. Becky happens to think they're pretty lousy. But I think they're good because what you sing about is what you enjoy in life. 
What do you dream about? What do you find yourself dreaming about when you're driving down the highway and you're holding on? If you're not dreaming, then this morning ask God to restore that part of you to dream because, again, some people get these ideas in, my, in their mind, this is good as it's going to be. Some of you are thinking, I'll never be able to prosper. Some of you are thinking, I'm so far in debt, I'll never be able to get out of debt. Some of you are thinking, you know, my kids are never going to come back to God. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You can get out of debt. You can prosper. Your children will come back to the Lord. There can be a revival in your household. There are some of you in here, you are living examples of God doing the impossible in our lives. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? A number of years ago, John Maxwell invited me to Baltimore, and we had lunch together, and while we were out having some of that wonderful seafood in Baltimore, I asked John, I says, John, what do you think one of the keys to success is? And there I'm sitting at a table with a friend of mine that I brought with me by the name of Jay Bailey, and it was John Maxwell and Bill Hybels and myself, and he looked at me and he says, Dennis, I'm going to tell you what my daddy told me. His dad was a Wesleyan pastor. He said, if you will love people unconditionally, you will always be successful in life. And I have never forgotten that. You see, where John's daddy learned that from was from Jesus Christ. Because if you will love people unconditionally, you're going to be a success. Jesus didn't fail at Calvary. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave at Calvary. I love the way I heard a black pastor say it on the radio, that Jesus died and descended into hell, and on Easter morning, he was resurrected, and the devil screamed out, Jesus has escaped, and he's taken the keys to hell and the grave with him. Somebody go and try and catch him, and they've never been able to catch him, and when you're in God, the devil will never be able to catch you either. Can you give the Lord another hand of praise for that as well? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5.18, it's good for people to eat and drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. So when you go to lunch after this service today, when you sit down in the back to have lunch, I know we're going to do this. I'm going to pray this over our meal. Wouldn't it be wonderful if hundreds of prayers like this were being prayed around Down River today? As we sat down to our meal, we just say, Lord, you have said in your word, it is good for us to eat and to drink and to enjoy our work during this short life. So we're going to eat this meal with all the gusto we can muster. We're going to eat this meal with faith in you. We're going to enjoy the blessings that God you have given to us. We're going to celebrate this one day out of seven that you've given us to rest, not to work. We're going to celebrate because God is so good. He didn't make us slaves that work from sun up to sundown seven days a week. God gave us six days to work and one day that we are to celebrate and enjoy life and to worship him and to enjoy our families together. Somebody say amen this morning. That's what life is about. And the people who try, and I think that's what the song was trying to get out, religion is dead. This is not about some dead, dry religion. It's about the grace and the favor and the new life that God brings to us. And then I'd suggest to you, write your dream down. Suggest is not a strong enough word. I'd say to you, write your dream down. Write it down. Expand. 
Take the shackles off your mind. Ask God to help you dream. Pray about writing this. Say, God, I dream so little. It's okay to say that to God. I dream such small dreams. Help me to dream bigger. And you may not dream as big as somebody else. Don't be intimidated. Your dream can't be my dream. My dream can't be your dream. Randy, it's good to see you and Kim this morning, but I remember when you had that little bitty place over here in Lincoln Park, and you bought the building we always call the piano building, and you moved your business out there, and Randy was showing me one day his dream, and I didn't understand any of it. Then one day he was telling me, Randy, how's a, it's a radiator business, right, Randy? Or, and then he was showing me these gigantic radiators bigger than me that they build for locomotives, and I've watched Randy's dream and vision expand as he and Kim have sought to put God first in their life. I remember one time Randy came to me and says, Kim and I listen to your messages in bed at night. And I says, don't do that, that's silly. (laughs) He says, no, we listen together at night. You see, you've got to expand your dream. You've got to take the limitations off. My dream will never be what Randy's is because You don't want me to build a radiator for you or build anything for you. You don't want me to build a bookshelf for you. I have a bookshelf that Granddaddy Gibson and I built together, and the boys refuse to give me credit for my part in it. They just say, Daddy, you were there to hand him the nails. But I did build that thing. We'll get to heaven and find that out. But he showed me everything to do. Your dream is always going to be different. But I find myself at 62 now, I go, God, I don't want to dream too little. Whatever is holding me back, help me to dream the dream you want, the dream you have for me. Look at these verses. I'm going to read them quickly. We are God's masterpiece. That word means poem. God's writing a poem through your life. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do. Say that with me. Can do. Say it again. Can do. How many of you have ever heard of a can-do attitude? And everybody likes a can-do attitude, right? I don't want a doctor that's going to come in and go, well, maybe. I want a doctor to go, I can do. Right, Tom Sandham? I want can do. I interviewed several staff pastors when we were looking for Pastor Corey, and they go, well, I, I think I could. I, you know, I might could. And Scratch, scratch, scratch. Nice kids. Corey came in and says, here's what I can do. And he wrote it all down. And he taught with such conviction. I was just mesmerized listening. You want that can? Look at it. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Don't you think God, do you think God's planned something half-hearted for you to do? Do you think God has planned something for you that's just measly? that anybody could get done. God has planned something for you, Heather Dalpiers, that only you can get done, and it's good stuff. God has planned something for you to do, Lowell Williams, right now, today, that only Lowell and Olivia can do, and it's good stuff. Colonel Harlan Sanders was a failure after failure. He lost his family. His father-in-law in the backwoods of Alabama tried to lead him to Christ because Harlan was hiding in the woods going to kidnap his children and run away with them and Harlan wouldn't give his life to Jesus. You say, Pastor, how do you know this story so well? Because I led Wayman Rogers' son, grandson to the Lord. Matter of fact, 
I got a call from his dad and he was in jail because of a drug charge and with Becky's permission, bailed him out and brought him home with us. You train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old, they're not depart from it. And he stayed with us for a few weeks and went on a youth retreat with us and he gave his heart to Christ and his granddaddy was the one who led uh, uh, Harlan Sanders to the Lord and when he led Harlan to the Lord, then Harlan suddenly, his whole life changed and God began to bless him and prosper him. He's got one of the most famous faces and that ugly man that's advertising on TV right now, that is not the real Colonel Sanders. Okay, let's just get that straight. The real Colonel Sanders, God did a change in his life at First Assembly of God in Louisville, Kentucky. God did a change in his life. He was marvelously born again, marvelously filled with the Holy Spirit. He spent the last years of his life being involved in missions, being involved in charity. He said, I spent the first years of my life trying to sell alcohol, trying to buy alcohol, run moonshine, do everything. I was a faithless husband, a faithless father. And the last years of his life, he spent... He had more joy giving away his millions. Don't you imagine this man when he was almost 70 years old that gave his heart to Christ. Don't you think he could have easily said it's too late for God to use me? It's never too late. If you're in the fourth quarter with two minutes to go, you can still win the game if you put your faith in God. It's never too late. I'm not tired. I bought the chair out so I wouldn't do that. You ever feel like you get a fire just shut up inside of you and you're just going to burn up? That's how I feel right now. I know the plans I have for you, the Lord says. Their plans are good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I want you to back up to the verse I didn't read there in the PowerPoint, if you would, Adam. You say, Pastor, why are you doing this? Because God says, I want you to use the authority the Lord has given me to strengthen you not to tear you down. I have come today, as I do every single Sunday and as every Bible preacher does, with the authority to give you God's word, to strengthen you, to encourage you, if you will listen and apply it. God will make you the head and not the tail. God will make you more than an overcomer. If you believe that, say amen. So, write down your life purpose. You say, Pastor, why should I write it down? It's really easy. Write it down because, number one, it clarifies for you what your life is all about. When you take a pen out and you begin to write, you get your priorities straight. When you take a pen out or a pencil out or you use your, your computer and you begin to write it out, you start thinking more clearly. You get specific rather than general. You don't say, you know, I, I, I want to spend more time with my children. You go, you know, I want to spend Thursday nights, and for a while they're growing up, we're going to designate every Thursday night at 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. That's going to be family night. And on family night, we're going to play a game, or we're going to watch a movie, and we're going to have dinner together. But every night, and then you, you commit to that. You write down your vision, and you say, you know, by the time I'm 45 or 55, this is the amount I want to be earning. This is what I want to be doing. And you write it down and you set a goal for your life. You say, well, if I don't achieve it, did I fail? No, you'll always be further ahead because you wrote it down and you went for it rather than just saying, I want to be this or that at 45 or 50. You get very specific with it. Last year, I set a personal goal for myself to read 200 books. I didn't reach that goal. 
but I read more books last year than I would have if I hadn't set that goal. And I don't read, I think I read maybe two novels last year, but most of what I read are commentaries. I read a lot getting ready for this series on Revelation that I'm starting next month, and I hope that you'll join me on midweek services for that. It's just like I'll finish up uh, two weeks from now on the book of Genesis, but I spent years preparing for the book of Genesis before I preached that series of 72 messages that I've just finished on our origins. But you set goals, and you may not reach what you've set, but you'll go much further than what you did. I set another goal. I wanted to weigh 170 pounds by the end of the year. I didn't get to 170 pounds. I'm not quite there, but I, will, I lost more than I would have lost. I'm embarrassed to tell you what I did weigh, but I lost more than I would have lost, but I'll lose it this year because God's given me another year of life, and this year my goal is to get down to a shrimp's felt 165 pounds. Believe it or not, my doctor said I was obese. And he said, you need to weigh 165 pounds. So that's what I'm endeavoring to do. So you pray for me because I have a severe addiction to taco chips and french fries and fried chicken. (laughs) And the best fried chicken is the crunchy, not the original recipe. And the best pizza comes from Baldo's and not from Jet's. How many like Baldo's pizza? Isn't it great? Oh, yeah. How many like Jet's pizza? A house divided cannot stand. <laughs> last night, last, and I'm starting a series on marriage, the reason I'm bringing this up with Becky's permission, I found out something last night I didn't know. My wife hates Baldo's pizza. For 19 years, I've bought Baldo's pizza. I bring it home. I'm like, you want pizza? She's sure. So I'll go to Baldo's. I'll bring us a pizza home tonight. Bought pizza home. For, I can't tell you how many family nights I bought Baldo's pizza home. Last night, she says, I'm going to order pizza. I says, okay, I'll swing by Baldo's and get it. She says, no, we're getting Jets. I go, Jets? Ah. I said, get Baldo's. She looks, she says, Dennis, I hate Baldo's. I said, what? She said, I hate Baldo's pizza. I said, 19 years later, you tell me you hate Baldo's pizza? And she goes, Yeah, it's time you know. (laughs) So we had jets last night. I'm the head of our house. She's the neck that turns the heads. Back to the message. I'm sorry. You It helps you clarify. But when you write your vision down, when you write your dream down, and do this together as a couple, when you write it down, suddenly faith begins to increase because when you see it written down, all of a sudden, those barriers in your mind begin to break down. God will bring back scripture verses because you're thinking. When people just tell me general ideas, they're not thinking, they're not planning. But when people start writing it down, they think, and then they'll go, well, this is what I really want to do. You've asked me to write it down. I says, well, why don't you think you can achieve this? Well, I'm in debt or I'm too old. And I'll go, well, let's look at what God's word says. And then suddenly, when you begin to apply God's word to the fortresses and to the strongholds and to all the doubt and the negativity, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the word of God in your life. If God did it for Harlan Sanders, God will do it for you. If God did it for me, God will do it for you. God is no respecter of persons. He is a good and a heavenly Father, the delights to bless his children. Give him, give him one more hand of praise this morning. Come on up. And then real quickly, I would pray, I would 
always read my Bible regularly, and then I would experiment with that dream. And then finally, as we get ready to close this morning, celebrate your progress. Have parties along the way. Every time you, if you're in debt, you're expanding your vision. Dave Ramsey talks about snowballing. His book was one that I recommended last week. So if you pay off a credit card, celebrate that. See, you know, just say, you know what? We pay this one off. We're going to go out to dinner tonight. We're going to go to Baldo's and get the best pizza in the world. <laughs> or we're going to go to Colonel Sanders and get crunchy chicken. She likes original recipe. <laughs> but celebrate. Go to a movie. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money. When you pay off that second credit card, have another party. Or if you're trying to lose weight, I mean, we're getting ready to start our 40 days of fasting and prayer. But if you're trying to lose weight, when you lose your first five pounds, celebrate. Go get a salad without the dressing. I recommend Mary's Camp Mix down at Big Bear. And just have them to blacken the turkey on it. You'll get a little more flavor that way. <laughs> when, you, when you walk your first mile, if you've not been, you said, you know what? My body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. I want to take care of it. And maybe you can't walk a mile on the treadmill, but when you get that first mile down, celebrate. Go get a stinky milkshake. You're going to walk it off the next day. But learn to celebrate and enjoy life. 56 times the Bible says, listen, 56 times the Bible says you're supposed to celebrate and enjoy life. That's one verse for every week of the year plus four additional ones. So my challenge to you would be take one of those verses and every Sunday on the first day of the week, pray that over the week as you begin it. Lord, I want to celebrate I'm alive. I want to celebrate that I'm saved. I want to celebrate that you've given me a dream, and I want to celebrate that I'm enjoying life. And if you need those verses, if you'll email me, I'll send you those verses. 56 times where God says celebrate and enjoy your life. Celebrate the progress that you're making. I want you to stand. I want to pray over you this morning. The book of Psalms, chapter 20 and verse 1 through five. I'm going to pray this over you. I'm going to read it to you first. And then I'm going to pray it over you and we're going to receive our offering. May the Lord answer you when you're in trouble. May the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from his temple and give you aid from Mount Zion. May he accept all your offerings and be pleased with your sacrifices. May he give you what you desire and make all your plans succeed. Then we will shout for joy over your victory and celebrate your triumph by praising our God. May the Lord answer all your requests. Now, what's your part in this prayer? Your part in this prayer is to take this outline this morning and any other notes you've made and with your wife or your husband, your children, start 
to follow these action steps I've given you. Write your story out. What makes you cry? What makes you sing? What makes you laugh? What do you do well? What are others affirming you that you do well? I mean, I'm looking across this congregation and I'm looking at Pat Morrow. Pat's one of the best, if not the best, videographer around in this town. But he's also an excellent school teacher teaching other children how to do it. I don't normally check email on Sunday mornings. Between the services, I just clicked my email while I was kind of resting a bit. And it was an email from Pat about helping us do something new with our video ministry here. Pat's always dreaming and thinking. I affirm him for that all the time. I look around this building. If you ever want a good story and somebody to make you laugh, just ask Fred Kelly. Fred, can I hang out with you for about a half an hour today? I mean, Fred will have you in stitches. I don't know if half his stories are true, but I like hearing them anyway. (laughs) I've asked Becky, I said, if I did with you what Fred did with Diane, would you still love me? She said, you'd be dead. (laughs) I mean... I affirm Fred, he just makes you laugh. So what do you do? What do people affirm? Write that down. Because if you don't capture that, you really don't know what you do well. So I want you to bow your heads and I want to pray this over you. May the Lord answer you when you are in trouble. For whenever you set out on a vision, or a quest for God, there will always be trouble and testing and trial. But fear not. This only means that you're right in the middle of the will of God. May the God of Jacob protect you. Though the fiery arrows may pierce your heart, always remember this. You have the shield of faith that can quench all the fiery darts of hell. May he send you help from his temple and give you aid from Mount Zion. Oh, my beloved family and friends in Christ, remember the temple in Mount Zion was the place of praise and worship, a place where sacrifices were made. Live your life for the glory of God and praise him each and every day. And understand But the book of Hebrews also says that God will send you heavenly messengers called angels that will help you and guard you. We may not see them, but they are there. May I accept all of your offerings and be pleased with your sacrifices. Take joy when it's time to give. Clap and celebrate. Rejoice in the Lord that you have something that he has blessed you with to bring to him. May he give you what you desire and make all your plans succeed. Have confidence this morning as you have heard the word of God preached. For it is God who is at work in you both to make you willing and to enable you to do all that he has planted in your heart. Then we will shout for joy over your victory and celebrate your triumph by praising our God. Woodland, we will always celebrate with every family, with every victory, with every member of this church, with every attender and friend of this congregation. 
as God gives them success and victory, we will not be jealous or envious. We will celebrate what God does. And may the Lord answer all your requests. Now, Father, before we bring our tithes, if there are those this morning who have not surrendered their hearts and lives to you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken them, stir their hearts, put a desire in them to say, I want to follow Jesus. God, let them see that you are the giver, the sustainer, but also the blesser in this life. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, but you'd like to give your heart to him, I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle or say anything, but I want you just to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it quietly. It's nobody else's business. But would you pray this? Say, Lord, thank you that you had a dream for my life, that you had a plan for my life, and that you expand the kingdom as each and every person commits their life to you. I'm sorry for my sins. Sin is our moral failure. I'm sorry for my sins. And I ask you to cleanse me as I put my whole trust in Jesus Christ this morning. In your name I pray. No one's looking around right now. But if you prayed that prayer, would you lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. You can put it down. Somebody else say, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus. Today, I'm giving my heart to the Lord. Well, can we give God a hand of praise for this man who's committing his life to Jesus Christ today? <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Well, Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we pray that even right now, as we give and celebrate, that, God, there will be a dream explosion in this place today. For it's in your name I pray, amen. You can be seated. The ushers are coming to wait upon you for the tithes and the offerings this morning.